This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Adrian Hernandez, the best bilingual advisor servicing clients in Arizona and California. Yo, if you haven't heard, rent is still on the rise. Phoenix alone is coming in at number four in the nation in terms of fastest growing rent with a year over year growth of 3.8 fucking percent. Stop paying someone else's mortgage and start investing in yourself. Yes, I'm telling you to invest in a home that you can call your own. Adrian Hernandez, the best bilingual advisor, is known for providing the number one home purchase experience. Let him help you get on the right track to meeting your home buying goals. Find him on Instagram, best bilingual advisor, and get the number one home purchase experience yourself. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by withlovemags.com. As a fellow working mom, I often find myself completely in the dark when it comes to fashion and beauty. I don't have time to figure out what I'm supposed to wear before and after Labor Day. It makes no sense to me at all. Withlovemags.com has become my go-to. I love following Maggie's journey. She gives insight into what it's like to walk a mile in her shoes, and that mile is nothing but positivity and other interesting stuff that I can relate to, like family and travel. Anyone that knows me knows I hate going into a store and shopping, but Maggie makes it easy to find fashionable clothes on her website and Instagram. It's amazing. Check her out. Follow her journey in fashion sense at withlovemags.com or follow her on Instagram, sparklemags. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Darlene Hayden, but you can call me Darlizzle. You obviously know me from the podcast. Anyways, Darlizzle versus the World is a weekly podcast in which me and you guys, my listeners, will battle out in a weekly poll of random topics. They'll range from some completely useless but fun things and then some more serious topics that require a little bit of thought and conversation. We'll have fun with it. Each episode, I'll pull my listeners to pick one side, one side only. I'm just expecting you to follow the rules for fucking once, please. We'll review the topic, give some background and interesting fun facts about each side, and share the results of the poll, and then talk about my thoughts, obviously, too. So, that requires some help from you guys. I really encourage feedback. I love it. But here's the thing. No need to be dicks to each other on the internet. I want to hear everyone's opinions, but they're exactly what they are. They're opinions. No right, no wrong. We've all heard it before. Opinions are like assholes and everyone's got one. I'm not saying you have to enjoy everyone's asshole, but just be respectful that everyone's got one for once, okay? By the way, you guys, I'm not a professional by any means in any topic. I'm reading everything off Google just like you are. The purpose of the podcast is to have fun, talk about random fun shit, and generate some thought-provoking conversation through useless information and storytelling. Anyways, let's get on with the motherfucking show. beautiful people. So this week's episode, we're talking all about sexual education. I wanted to know if my listeners had the sex ed talk with their parents or if they essentially just learned about sexual education off the streets. Now, when I say off the streets, I I don't mean that intentionally. Um, I, I don't assume anyone is randomly going up to a homeless person or a stranger off the street and saying, hey, can you teach me about sex? What I really mean by that is, did you learn from siblings, friends, cousins, um, in a school setting, something like that. So really just did you learn from your parents or did you learn elsewhere? Something I did want to clear up also before we kind of really get into the weeds of the information is 
what do we exactly mean when we talk about sexual education? I think the misconception about sexual education is that we're teaching children how to have sex or that sexual education only entails the act of fornicating, actually having sex with each other, which is completely wrong. Um, When we talk about sexual education and we talk about the importance of why we need it, um, sexual education should, should cover a wider range of topics relating to human sexuality, um, emotional relations and responsibilities, human sexual anatomy, sexual activity as well, but then reproduction, age of consent, reproductive health, safe sex, birth control, and abstinence. We should be talking about it all. So when we say sexual education, um, it's really kind of this broad range of topics relating to sex, not just the actual act of sex, but there are a few different types of sexual education, um, but we can essentially, for the sake of today's um, argument, I should say, um, we can essentially break that down into two different types of education. Um, The first one is abstinence-focused education, and the other being a more comprehensive education. So comprehensive sexual education is an instruction method based on a curriculum, and what it really aims to do is give students the knowledge, the attitude, skill to make an appropriate and healthy choice within their sexual life. Um, Comprehensive sex education ultimately promotes sexual abstinence as the safest sex choice for young people. I think we we all understand that the safest sex is definitely abstinence. Um, however, those curriculums and teachers are still committed to teaching students about topics connected to future sexual activity. So they do talk about the appropriate age of consent, safe sex, how to use contraception like birth control, condoms. Um, they teach them about abortion. They talk about all of these things because I think us as as adults, we can understand just because somebody tells us we shouldn't be doing something, that never fucking means that we're not going to do it or we're not going to be interested. Um, we are naturally curious people. So when we talk about sexuality, I think it's only, only apparent that we're going to, we're going to be curious at some point um, as people. So I think this is the difference between um, understanding what comprehensive sexual education versus the more abstinence focused education kind of really butts heads with each other because um, what the comprehensive sex ed talk really promotes is making sure, like I said, we're equipped We're equipping young teens with the appropriate information so that they can responsibly make their choices. They're not going in completely blind um, having sex with each other. So um, this also includes promoting safe behaviors um, within this curriculum, which I think is very important. So it's like communicating with partners, how they can seek testing for sexually transmitted diseases and It's interesting because the sexual education within a comprehensive program also discusses um, the outcomes of having sex, getting pregnant. It's not just let's only talk about sex and the consequences of sex. It's here are your options once you do have sex, if you do become pregnant, let's talk more about parenting, adoption, and abortion. 
So I think it's really important to see that, that, that when we say comprehensive sexual education, it's far more than just promoting sex, which is a common misconception when we talk about comprehensive sex education. So um, the purpose is just to develop a respectful social and sexual relationship. So consider how their choices affect their well-being in the long run of themselves and others and understanding and ensuring the protection of their rights throughout their lives. So the argument for why it's very important that we are providing a comprehensive sexual education to young teens, young adults, whoever would need that information, is that all of this information is relevant because we all have bodies, we all have genitals, we all have a sexual well-being. So it's important that we're providing knowledge so that we aren't running blind with these quote-unquote weapons of our bodies without the knowledge of how to use them. Um, Interestingly enough, sexuality education in or out of schools doesn't increase any type of sexual activity, um, sexual risk-taking behaviors, or STI, HIV infection rates. Um, Again, The purpose of any type of education course is to educate, provide the appropriate knowledge, and make sure that we're setting the appropriate expectations. Um, And what they're finding is that gender-focused programs are more effective and comprehensive sex education is increasing the knowledge and improving the attitudes related to sexual and reproductive health. So it's like if you want to make grown-up decisions, here are the grown-up things that you need to consider or the grown-up consequences that will be made <laughs> have given you, you make the choice to have sex here's here's what could possibly happen and if that does possibly happen here are the things that you'll need to address later on down the line so i'm definitely a big fan of comprehensive sexual education when we're talking about it um Unfortunately, I myself did not have any appropriate sexual education growing up, whether that was from my parents and um, the actual sexual ed courses out of any high school class that I took, I honestly think was a complete joke. But we'll, we'll get into the weeds of that later. Um, and, you know, we say it all the time. Young people are our future. If we can't even equip the future leaders of America on how to understand their sexuality, respect themselves, respect each other, or the consequences of their sexual actions, then what the fuck are we doing? Um, I think we've all understood the whole Brock Turner rape. I'm not going to call it an allegation because essentially it was a rape. So the the definition of what the judge saw wrong with the whole case and what, you know, this affluent family defends is just insane to me. I felt like there was just such a lack of understanding of consent and sexual consent, I should say. Um, So I think it's really important for everybody, not even just young people that are just learning about sex, but even us as adults continue to learn about, understand. And unfortunately, I think, um, our world is ever-changing nonstop. So I just don't think that traditional methods of communication, traditional understanding of what we might have known 10 years ago, um, that's just not relevant to today. So I think it's very important that we're constantly questioning what our sexual education is focused on, how we present that information to young people now and, you know, older people as well. Because, yeah, like an old fucking judge in a Brock Turner case 
definitely doesn't understand the consequences of these inappropriate, non-consensual sexual acts and has completely turned the world upside down. So when we talk about sexual education, that's always the thing that I think of is Brock Turner because it was such a robbery of what a, a young girl's life could have had the potential to be. I think she's going to be forever fucked up from from this fucking Brock Turner case, and I think it's insane. So anyways, it brings us to our next idea. I'm sorry, next category when we're talking about sexual education, and that's the abstinence-only programs. Abstinence-only programs promote no sex until marriage is the only option. This education program teaches abstinence as the only morally correct option of sexual expression for teenagers. They usually censor information about contraception, condoms for prevention of sexually transmitted diseases, and unintended pregnancies. So this is where it really fucks me up. We are just openly telling teenagers, and we all know teenagers... The majority of them, I think, are pretty rebellious at a certain point anyways. I think if they're thinking about sex, they're probably going to rebel against something. Um, We're pretty much just telling them, like, you know what? Just don't do it. No appropriate understanding or explanation of why we're telling people that abstinence only is the best possible option, but just it, it just seems like it's not enough information. So according to WebMD, there are some benefits to waiting for sex until marriage. In a study published to the Journal of Family Psychology, they surveyed about 2,035 married participants in an online assessment of marriage and found that um, those people that waited rated sexual, excuse me, rated sexual quality at 15% higher than people who had premarital sex. Also, rated relationship stability as 22% higher, and rated satisfaction with their relationships 20% higher. Um, But on the other hand, what researchers are finding, obviously, is that abstinence-only programs are failing to provide young hormonal people with complete and medically accurate information. So I understand the statistics, and, you know, I think that the majority of the people that are very wait-until-marriage Um, They do it based off of their faith primarily, you know, family values and their religion. But of course they're rating their sexual quality and satisfaction of their sex life better than people who have been doing it longer. This is still fresh to them. They probably aren't even having good sex. Like, (laughs) they haven't practiced enough. They probably don't even know what good sex is, honestly. So (laughs) that's the only impression that I get. But... Um, Anyways, going back, public health findings conclude that these programs, the abstinence-only programs, don't actually succeed in reducing rates of teen pregnancies or STDs. Boom! Big surprise! We're just sending misinformed teenagers with raging hormones out into the general public. we're, We're equipping them with weapons that they don't know how to use appropriately. So the amount of misinformation is probably what makes young teens so sexually curious. And in my opinion, this is what I'm thinking, because honestly, this is what I was. I was a sexually curious young person because I didn't understand anything of it. In the recent years, we've all seen changes under the Trump administration, including cuts to funding for the teen pregnancy prevention programs, Um, also appointing the president of an abstinence only youth advocacy 
organization as a chief of staff for the Department of Health and Human Services, um, and also the administration's refusal to acknowledge LGBTQ youth in their plans for abstinence-only education. Um, So what we're offering or pushing as far as the administration's program to prevent unwanted teen pregnancies is to generalize it and just pretty much tell everybody, hey, let's all not do this, but let's not put in place um, specific knowledge, understanding um, studies relating to specific groups of people. We, we, it's very obvious that we can be a little bit more focused on what young women can do, what young men can do, what young gay teens could be doing or shouldn't be doing, or what our recommendations are or course of action for when they are becoming curious. So I think that's where a lot of people are really anti-Trump administration are, are for choices like these. We're just not setting up the future of America for anything positive. Um, when we remove a lack of knowledge and information for sexual education, especially when we're funding it at a federal level, um, it's insane that we can't make it more relevant to what young people need. Um, If anyone thinks that pushing an abstinence-only program is the best use of any federal money to educate our youth, um, I'll let you know you're seriously fucked up. I just imagine it's a handful of old, wrinkly-ass, two-pump chump dudes who think that the clit is a myth and could probably find Waldo better in a Where's Waldo book. I think it's crazy. And then it's probably a handful of crotchety old tight-ass women who are lucky if they make it out of a missionary position before they, they, their shit just shrivels up and retracts out of shame and disappointment. They don't even have <laughs> sexual um, understanding of their own. And that's why I think it's insane to think that equipping young people with knowledge is, in their minds, a bad, bad use of funding. Um, I, I just think that with the age of the internet and social media, the fact that that information is available. And it's not even just information that people are making up. There is evidence-based information um, that supports a comprehensive program over an abstinence-only program. Um, Now we're just requiring a lot more work for a young person, right? If they want to find any useful information, they're definitely doing the work. Um, of getting that information. But then when you force them to use the internet, they become masters of nothing, right? They're going to Google everything. Um, Information just might not be relevant or make sense. There's no validity because every fucking idiot can pretty much publish a website. Every idiot, including me, myself, every idiot can have a public voice of opinion. And it's crazy to think that we now have to expect young adults if they want to learn about sexual education if if they want to figure out what their avenues are um, in the event they become pregnant or need contraceptives or things like that that we're forcing them to turn to the internet good luck good luck in the fucking ocean of sharks and and figuring out hopefully we can you can figure it out on your own um so you know when we talk about these federal programs and and the ability for us to provide knowledge I think it's very important Um, but but you know that that's really just me the U.S. reported around 30 teen births per thousand and according to data from the World Bank European countries tend to have the lowest rate of teen pregnancies 
Italy, Germany, and Switzerland, among others, have fewer than 14 births per thousand babies born. And experts are really pointing to the generally progressive approach to sexual education when they gear the curriculum to teach sex as normal and healthy and as a positive act. So I think it's very interesting. I think, you know, if we look at Italy in general, the people are fucking gorgeous. They're they are very sexual beings. And this is the way the media portrays them. This is how any Italian that I've ever and I'm talking like a true Italian. Um, they're they're like the very romantic European people. So, yeah, sex is not a big deal. It's not a taboo topic. So I think it's very interesting to see. Um, the data that kind of surrounds that. And as we talk about a lack of funding when it comes to sexual education, this really shows the need for parental involvement when it comes to sexual education. And that really brings me back to my initial ask and my point. Um, A lot of parents might find it weird or difficult to speak to their kids about sex, but as with any other open form of communication that you should be providing for your children, I think it's very important that sex can be a normal topic of discussion. When parents don't talk to their kids about sex, guess what? Those kids are going to fucking learn from a bunch of other uneducated kids that have probably either never had sex or a very limited amount of sex, right? We're having other dumbass kids teach our dumbass kids about sex. These, These people don't know about sex, right? So why would we, why would we expect or hope that that's the best way for our kids to get the appropriate knowledge when we're talking about their sexuality and their their bodies. It's it's really important that we talk about that. And as we see the need for parent involvement with everything else in a child's life, um, why not sex, right? We talk about it with school, sports, extracurricular activities, um, especially in a school setting. Just because we send our kids to school and they have teachers, the expectation isn't that the teacher's fucking doing everything or if your kids are involved in a sport we don't expect that the coach is the only person doing the work as a family and as a supportive parent uh, we need to be involved our family needs to be able to echo whatever our children are learning outside of our home so our family uh, my son who's three he is involved in jujitsu. he's involved in swim and we mirror exactly what the I mean, down to the verbiage, the way they're saying things, the way they teach different techniques, the way they are, I, I should almost say the way they have their curriculum for how he learned within swim and jujitsu, we try to mirror that in our house too. Because I feel like, you know, as with anything else, it's the practice. It's continuously hearing the same information. Um, We're just echoing the same message so that it just sounds exactly the same um, when he does go to swim or he does go to jujitsu. It makes it less of a push and it just makes, we're just trying to really surround his life around, you know, a certain expectation of what they do in swim and what they do in jujitsu. I don't ever expect that the job is 100% the coaches by any means. Um, If we're not supporting what they do, you know, eating healthy, being active, being respectful of each other, if we weren't doing that in our own house, why the fuck would I expect him to walk out onto a jujitsu mat and be able to understand that? So I think it's the same when we talk about 
sexual education and being able to talk about that also. So we're a pretty open family. We find it important to say I love you. We hug, we kiss. Um, All of us are very comfortable naked around each other, like everything. And I think it's important for my husband and I also that we set an example for our son to see a healthy um, parental relationship because we did not have that growing up, neither my husband or I. So it's very important. Um, We talk about it often. We communicate with each other, my husband and I, about what's important for our son to see um, within a relationship. So I think that's really awesome. And I think that's something that I'm very proud of that both my husband and I are on board with. Even with my son being three, I do my best to not sex shame him for things that he's learning and discovering because myself, I have to get used to knowing how to respond to these curious questions um, and his sexuality as as he's becoming aware. So a three-year-old, if if you don't have a toddler yourself, um, and I don't know, it's probably a little bit different with boys and girls, obviously, as far as their curiosity with their genitals, but little boys love playing with their penises. That's a fucking fact. So at a very early age, my son had become very aware of his penis and he laughs when something tickles him when we're, you know, having bath time and he's got soap around him or whatever. Or, you know, I found him sitting on a couch before where he just has his hands down his underwear and he's playing with his penis. And, you know, it's it's definitely something that I've learned to do where I don't I don't shame him by saying, oh, my God, what are you doing? Oh, my gosh, that's gross. We don't do that. Blah, 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 blah. Like, I would never tell him that that's a completely inappropriate thing to do because we all know uh, masturbation is normal. So even at a young age and and me being able to raise a young boy, um, I just simply tell him we're not doing that right now. So instead of shaming him for what he's doing and what he's naturally curious of, um, I'm just trying to direct him to other things that he should be doing at that time um, instead of masturbating. I mean, he's not actually like masturbating at the couch, but, you know, that's just kind of the action I'm treating it as. Um, Instead of just telling him, no, we're not doing that. It's we're not doing that right now. This isn't the time. This isn't the place. I want you to understand that that's okay to do, but we're just not going to do it around the company of the entire family. We're not doing it in the living room. So um, even just for me, it's kind of making sure that I'm aware also of how I treat him, the things that I say to him, because I know that, you know, if I shame him in some way, while it might not seem like a big deal for me at the time, certain things that I might say are really going to stick with him for fucking years. I've definitely been in that situation where My mom has said something to me, and while she might not have understood how much of a negative impact due to her tone, the messaging, um, how any of that might have been to me at the time, certain things have fucked me up for years because of the tone and the messaging um, and the lack of empathy. So I really think it's important to be mindful of those things. So yeah, I'd rather give him an understanding of an appropriate time and a place. But you know, if I can't get my three-year-old to make him embarrassed or like it's wrong, then I'm not being a good parent because he he is definitely a little boy. He is going to be very curious of his penis, um, whether I like it or not. And it's not my job to tell him 
that those aren't appropriate things or that he shouldn't be doing them. It's my job to make sure that he understands what is normal. He understands when it is an appropriate time or what appropriate things are when we're talking about our penis. So um, I myself never had a good sex talk from my parents. Um, the sex ed classes in high school were terrible. I think I had one sex ed class and this is when I was going to Woodward High School, Toledo, Ohio. I went there my freshman and my sophomore year. Um, the the curriculum was terrible. I don't think that they actually talked about sex or sexuality or consent. I think all they did was talk about sexually transmitted diseases and show us real pictures of like people with gonorrhea and syphilis to like try to scare us into not having sex. Um, And then not even that, the person that was teaching the subject matter, I cannot remember, I forget, but I think it was like a male health teacher. Uh, Maybe it was like a gym coach or something, like some type of athletic coach, but definitely not somebody... um, I would have ever been willing to go out of my way to ask questions to. So even from the comfort level of um, finding a finding an adult that I would have been comfortable having real sexual questions for, I don't even feel like I had that. So that probably did not work out in my favor. But you know, I had a huge misunderstanding of a healthy relationship at an early age. My parents divorced when I was probably about four or five. Um, so I never saw healthy relationships. And since I grew up with my dad primarily, I think that there was always a constant struggle. And I think I talked about it in um, some of the other episodes where I always felt like neglected. Maybe I wasn't actually neglected, but emotionally, I didn't have enough emotional support as I needed as a young person. So I grew up with a lot of um, relationship issues. Um, I probably struggled with the need for attention a little bit more than some other people might have grown up needing. Um, So I think by the time I hit 1920s, that's where that negative behavior really spiraled out of control. But Um, You know, at an early age, I was really sexually curious. I just didn't know anything about sex. I didn't know anything about the male or the female body outside of just what I had, you know. So even at maybe age 10, um, you know, I'm not a female body. I'm still shaped like a little boy. No boobs, you know, anything like that. So I think the first time, I think the first time that I really grew curious I think I just was like all right well I guess I'll try to find every single r-rated movie that I possibly can to see if they show boobs or anything in it Um, that's where my curiosity kind of just went to the most inappropriate resource I was like okay let me find a good Hollywood movie where they show tits on it so you can obviously imagine that that was not a good representation of good sexual understanding Um, Thankfully, I've gotten beyond that. But the first time I ever learned that not everybody has brown nipples, um, I lost my shit. I I seriously about died. I think I saw a porno movie where there's a very fair-skinned girl, lady, whatever. (laughs) She had very, very fair skin 
and super light pink nipples and I just being so dumb so naive um I thought there was something fucking wrong with this girl I was like holy shit is this is this what an albino person looks like is this like an albino sex tape I was so appalled because I I had no idea that people's bodies could look so different and the lack of sexual education growing up is what really stunned me when I found out that uh, nipples come in all shapes, colors, and sizes. So, you know, something as silly as that, it's insane to think that I just had no idea. It was just something I never thought of, and it's just not even something that anybody would have ever thought to explain to me. So, yeah, nipple color is a very sensitive topic for me. <laughs> I guess I was just, it's just, I think I made a joke in my stand-up comedy one time talking about, you know, team brown nips, team pink nips, where now I'm just curious about what color everyone's nips are. Because, you know, at a young age, I just had no idea that there was such a nice rainbow of nipples. Um, now I'm very aware that there are nipples of all colors that I would have never guessed. So I'm always very curious when I'm looking at people. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what their nipples look like. <laughs> Darker than I would have assumed. Okay, great. Anyways, um, the consensus of the poll was exactly as I had expected. Like I said, the majority of the listeners did not get their sexual education or understanding from the parents. So that really was no surprise. But as we teach our children, uh, we know they're going to have sex. Let's just make sure that they can make informed decisions and they understand their resources, whether that resources us as parents or we can just give them the appropriate resources outside of our home. I think it's important that we be able to communicate that. It's important that we as parents do the best for our children, teach them about their bodies. I mean, I grew my tiny human in my body fucking carried him for nine months you've really got me fucked up if you think I'm not going to teach him how to take care of that little body that I pretty much created myself um they're just it's their bodies their choices I am just not naive to think that my son's not going to have sex just because I tell him that it maybe isn't a good time um even at the tiny age of three he's very strong-willed and he has his opinions and um, my parenting style for some things it's like well we have we have to just let him do it and we have to let him fail and when it comes to sex and teen pregnancy and STDs and HIV I want to make sure that he has the opportunity to do what he is making a willful choice to do but in the safest and most appropriate way as much as possible so Let's just try to educate them, um, not just once, but a continuous open channel of communication is what I think is very important with sexual education with young children today. So let's do it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's the episode. Be sure to check Instagram on Wednesday for the next episode's poll. And if you like what you heard, please share me on social media, support me on Patreon and leave a review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. Let's talk next week. Bye.